Now, before we start get into God's word, I'd like to tell you a little bit about Cambodia. And we'll spend just a few minutes doing that. But Cambodia is unique in the world. It's unique in this sad fact that the, the genocide that took place in Cambodia has only happened there in the history of the world. And what I mean is this. The, most genocides, all other genocides, there's two, two sides to the battle, right? And the winning side, whatever side wins, within that culture, within that society, the educational system, a moral compass, family structure, remains. In Cambodia, the government put, uh, in, enacted a genocide across the entire country. So across the entire country, the educated class, the religious class, and the family structure was destroyed. And then you add abject poverty and a highly corrupt government, and it results in a case where little girls are trafficked. And what that means is foreign pedophiles from all over the world, including here in the U.S., come to Swaipak, Cambodia, to buy little girls and to abuse them. Now, God, we've been blessed to be called there and been blessed that we're kind of unique as a ministry in that we work in all four areas of stopping that. And what I mean is prevention that we work in. We work in rescue, restoration of rescued girls, and then in uh, reintegration. Now, reintegration might need a little definition. Reintegration means when a girl leaves us, they will go back into the society as a healthy, productive Christian young woman. Now, Cambodia, while the girls are with us, they find out that they have value. They find out who they are in Christ, and it begins to transform their lives, their very hearts. But when they leave us, when they go back into that culture, the culture is going to think that they are trash because of what happened to them. Not only will they think they're trash, they will tell other, they will tell these girls to their face, you are nothing. There's a Cambodian proverb that really explains this. It says, boys are like gold and girls are like cloth. And what that means is that you can do anything to gold to hurt its value. But a cloth, once it's stained, it's good for nothing but the trash pile. And that's what, when these girls go back into that culture, we found one thing that will overcome that. And that's to have a good job. A good job where they can support themselves and help support their family. If they have that, they will regain honor in the community that they're reintegrated to. So our ministry now actually has a factory that girls work in, where they make a good living, where there's a social worker and counselor, there's education going on. By the way, it's mandatory education because they don't want to go. Uh, but uh, and, we, and we have... Uh, Bible study every day, and these girls now, again, have regained honor in their community. Now, about the teams that come over, I'm anticipating about 80% of you will be in Cambodia in September. Uh, so uh, when you come, I want you to know whatever God has given you as a gift, as an experience, it will be used to accomplish one of the four things. The, the teams that have come from Bridgeway Church in fact, each person has, has in some way either prevented the trafficking of a girl, helped to gain the rescue of a girl, of the uh, restoration of a girl, 
are part of the reintegration, and we don't have time to talk about how that works, so you have to trust me on that this morning. But what I would like to show you is a little bit what happens within the ministry with the kids. So we've got a short video that will just show you how some of the programs come together. So if we could run that, please.
In case you're wondering, there is no seatbelt law in Cambodia. <laughs> let's, let's get what we're here for, to study God's word. And we're going to look at expectations today. Uh, when we all have expectations, right? We expect what's going to happen to us if we do something good or if we do something bad. Kids in Cambodia have expectations what's going to happen to them. You came to church today, you might have been expecting Lance, but you're stuck with me. Uh, But more importantly than our expectations, it's God's expectations for us. And the truth is that God has expectations of all of us who uh, claim Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. So we're going to be studying in Hebrews chapter 10 this morning. And uh, give you a little background. The writer of Hebrews starts in chapter 9. And begins to go into some detail about blessings we have as followers of Christ. And he continues that through uh, chapter 10. And at verse 19 in chapter 10, he picks up with a summary of of, uh, blessings. And I'm going to begin reading at that verse, verse 19. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain... That is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some in their habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. You see, this passage that is going to tell us about some of God's expectations for us begins with him talking, talking about the blessings we have received. And I believe that's because God's expectations for us are based on the great gifts he has given us. Uh, Specifically, there's five gifts that we receive from God in those verses. And personally, I believe they are the greatest gifts that we receive. There's more gifts, but I believe these are the greatest gifts. And I believe that because for two reasons. Number one, every single follower of Christ receives these five gifts. Number two, because they are eternal gifts. They will be with us forever. And let's go back through and, and quickly pick up what those five gifts are. In verses 19, 20, and 21, we see Jesus. We have been given Jesus, the greatest gift ever given. In verse 22, we see we have been given faith. And again, faith is a gift that can change the world, not just us as individuals or our churches or our communities. It can change the world. In verse 23, we see we've been given hope. And you know there's over 30,000 promises in the Bible. And 7,487 of those promises uh, apply to us today. I was hoping you'd be more impressed with that. (laughs) You know how long it took me to count 7,487 promises? But think about this. Think if we started in Genesis, we had the time, and we worked all the way through the Bible, through Revelation, 
this morning we would find 7,487 promises that apply to each one of us who are followers of Jesus Christ. That's amazing hope. Then in verses 19 and 24, we look, we see love. And we've not given just any love. We've been given a sacrificial, unconditional love. The love Paul writes about in Romans where he says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then in verses 24 and 25, we've been given each other. God has given us each other and for love and support. Now, I believe of those gifts, there is a key gift that allows us to maximize all those other gifts. And that gift is faith. The gift of faith that we received. And the writer of Hebrews goes on in the next few verses to talk about faith. So let's see what he has to say as we begin reading at verse 26. It says, If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And we can see in those verses that God expects to see our faith. In other words, it's not enough that we we profess with our mouths, but God wants to see that faith, uh, faith that we profess. And it makes sense, right? It makes sense because we've been given great gifts, and with with great gifts come great responsibilities. Uh, Jesus said in Luke, For from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. And we are they. We have been given these great gifts. Another thing that's interesting in this passage is is the the focus on sinning as as a, a way of seeing or not seeing faith. And also the sins, it's not sins of commission the writer here is talking about, things that we do wrong, the bad things we do, his focus is sins of omission, the good things that we fail to do. And if we we go back through the passage, which we don't have time this morning, but if we went through the whole thing, what we can see right now is a phrase repeated, let us, let us, let us, let us do. And that's what God is is calling us to. He wants to see our faith that way. And by the way, seeing faith is not just found here in Hebrews. It's throughout, uh, throughout the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 9, we have the, the story of the four friends with the paralytic. And they were bringing him to Jesus to be healed. They couldn't get in the door, so they climbed up on the roof. They dug a hole through the roof. Not sure how the homeowner felt about that. But they dug a hole through the roof, and they lowered the man down before Jesus. And what does that pass? What do the words of the Bible tell us there? When he saw their faith, he said, son, your sins are forgiven. And then if we were to go into the next chapter of Hebrews, chapter 11, the hall of fame of faith, 
we see people commended for their faith by what was seen, what was evident of the faith they have. If we go to James, we see that faith without works is dead. And Jesus himself said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? And so, again, I need to make it clear, we're not talking salvation by works. The Bible is clear, it's salvation by faith. Right? It's faith alone that saves us. But God is clear that he wants to see evidence of our faith, not just the words. And this passage makes it very clear how important that is to our Lord. Now, the writer of Hebrews goes on to talk about a specific way God wants to see our faith. So we'll we'll begin with verse uh, 32. It says, Remember those earlier days after you have received the light, when you stood your ground in a great contest, in a great contest in the face of suffering, Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution, and at other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. We see here God expects us to stand with the oppressed and to fight injustice. And the phrase in English, stood your ground, Uh, could have been uh, translated to endure or to persevere for another. Uh, But I I love this passage, too, because God doesn't just tell us, I expect you to stand with the oppressed and fight injustice. He goes on to tell us what we can expect when we do that. And again, let's just let's go back quickly and take a look at that. It says in verse 32, we can expect a fight or a struggle. The actual word used in English is contest. It's the only time that word in in Greek is found in the New Testament. And in the secular Greek, it stood for a boxing match. So we can expect a fight when we stand with the oppressed and fight injustice. Verses 32 and 34 tell us we can expect to suffer. In verse 32, it's suffer for others. In verse 34, the word is sympathize, which is to suffer with. So you'll be suffering for and with others. In verse uh, 33, we see we can be expected to be insulted and disgraced. In verse 33, we can expect to be persecuted. And Paul writes in Timothy that, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That means we can all expect, as we follow Christ, to be persecuted. And then in uh, verse 34, it says we can expect to lose our possessions. Okay, and the word is confiscation. And actually, again, that that term in the Greek could have been used for three ways to lose our possessions. One was actually to freely give them away. Another was an official government action, like taxes. And the third was to have them violently taken away from you, which would be to be stolen. And we can maybe expect all three. So let's review quickly. When we stand with the oppressed and fight injustice, we can expect a fight and struggle, to suffer, to be insulted and disgraced, to be persecuted, to lose our possessions. Hey, who wants to sign up? (laughs) Now, you know, I'm glad that God puts that in there, but I think that makes it clear why he starts with the greatest gifts. You see, we can stand up to those things because we have the greatest gifts. And part of those gifts are one another. Right? And, And the truth is, 
I mean, if we're going to be really just get right down to it and be honest, becoming a Christian doesn't make our lives easier. Right? I mean, Jesus said, if you would come after me, you must deny yourself, pick up your cross daily and follow me. That doesn't sound easy. In fact, when we become Christians, our lives become more difficult. That's really the truth. Because God's called us to some difficult things. But difficult doesn't mean bad. It's actually better. Our lives become better as we follow Christ. More difficult, better. But not only do our lives become better, when we stand with the oppressed and fight injustice, the lives of others become better as well. Let's take a... Let's take a look and see how the writer closes out this passage. It says, So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. You see, God expects our faith to overcome our fears. And, and the word persevere indicates a courageous endurance. And uh, acting upon our faith, no matter how small it is, results in courageous endurance. And I'll tell you... I am privileged in the work that God has given me to see heroes that, that, that live this passage. One, of the, one, one example is five girls who actually, Bridgeway Church, in my opinion, was blessed because they were at service last night. But five little Cambodian girls who have been brutally abused by an American pedophile named Michael Pepe. And Michael Pepe, by the way, is a Marine captain, a retired Marine captain. And he came to Cambodia, and what he did to those kids, I can't tell you, but I I can give you an indication of how bad it was in that the federal agents from the U.S. who went over there and, and were part of the girls' rescue said it's the worst case of abuse they had ever seen or heard of in their entire career. That gives you an insight about how bad it was. Now, these girls... These girls were amazing. They came into our aftercare program. Through our staff, they experienced the love of God and became Christians, putting their faith in Christ. Not only that, they had a faith we could see. Because you see, they were asked, this man was extradited to the U.S. and to stand trial for his crimes in Cambodia in the U.S. And they were asked to come testify. Very difficult thing to do. No benefit for them. I'm telling you, I am embarrassed by the court system in the United States, how we treat victims. They treat victims better in Cambodian courts than they do in ours. It was brutal. It was, a, it was a horrific what these kids had to go through. You know, and, but we help to prepare them spiritually. Right? They're prepared by the lawyers uh, legally, but we work to pr- prepare them spiritually and the preparation really of two, two, uh, uh, two Bible passages, really. The first was David and Goliath. You know, David took down that giant Goliath, that evil giant, with just a stone. 
Right? He told them, you can take down that evil giant with just one thing too, the truth. And so to help them remember that and give them confidence in that, we actually gave them a stone with the word truth written on it. The other thing is, these girls were real heroes. To come here and suffer through that trial, and we needed them for them to understand that and not forget that, so we made ID cards. It had their name on it, and it says, I am a hero from Phnom Penh, Cambodia. And on the back of the, of the ID card was the proverb, Truthful witnesses save lives. Now, these girls spent up to five hours on the witness stand, as close as you and I are, for five hours staring into the face of the man that abused them for months. Five, that's courageous endurance. But because these kids were willing to stand with the oppressed, whether these kids were willing to fight injustice, these little Cambodian girls... That man will never leave prison because he was convicted on all charges and sentenced to 120 years. I want to tell you about one more hero of mine. And it's a little girl named Chong. And you can see her there. She's, she came to us at 12 years old. But at 9 years old, she was trafficked. She was trafficked in a situation where she was really raped by up to 10 men a day for three years. Next slide, please. She was trapped in a room like that, locked in it day and night, just waiting for the next man to come down to get her. We can't imagine how she suffered or what it would feel like. But, you know, it was worse than just that. You see the woman with the key to the door? They kept her locked in there, was her own mother. So day after day, she suffered through all that. And after three years, she was rescued. Again, her mother was put in prison. Next slide, please. And we have our girls that are in our aftercare visit their families once a month, no matter where they are. And so there's Chong visiting her mother in prison. But you see, there's a little boy there. Behind the bars. Now, this is a prison with rape, a co-ed prison with rapists and murderers. Yet the mother has her son, Chang's brother, there with her. Now, why would she do that? Well, you see, in Cambodia, there's not enough money to feed and give water to the prisoners. So what they do is Western organizations give money to prisoners. And if you're a prisoner with a kid, you get more money. So even behind bars, she continued to exploit her own children. Every month, Chang begged her mother to let her brother go. Every single month. Next slide, please. Month after month after month. And her mother said no every single time. Now imagine this child, how open she is to being loved now. She comes into our aftercare, and our Cambodian staff is amazing. She's not easy to love, frankly, after all she's been through, and that's understandable. But the staff does a great job with her, and that love of God begins to penetrate her heart, and one day she gives her life to Jesus. And now she wants to go to school. Twelve years old, she had never been in a classroom. Now she goes to school in our aftercare center, and she's an outstanding student. And her motivation... I want to be able to read the Bible myself. 
So once she graduates sixth grade, and by the way, she did, uh, she did three grades a year. Uh, hold that one for a minute, that slide. Um, and when she, uh, when she was able to read after graduating sixth grade, which, by the way, in Cambodia is, is a big deal for a woman to graduate sixth grade. She wanted to memorize 1 Corinthians 13, the entire chapter. Two weeks, she was able to do it. And she stood in front of, she stood in front of the whole staff and all the girls, over, or over 100 people, and she recited 1 Corinthians 13, the entire chapter, word for word, perfect. Okay, and that's pretty cool all by itself. But it was way more than that for Chong because it wasn't just in her head. It was in her heart now. And her next step was to go to vocational school. And there she is graduating number one in her class. In vocational school, she was taught to be a barista and a uh, baker. Next slide, please. And by the way, if you are in Phnom Penh and you need caffeine, she makes an awesome latte. So... (laughs) But she was far more than a great barista. She was a cake baker extraordinaire. Next slide, please. You see the flowers on those cakes? They're hand sculpted out of sugar. I mean, she's more than a baker. She's an artist. And by the way, because they're made out of sugar, you can eat them. And that's one of my highlights. (laughs) But those cakes are nothing compared to things she has made. She has made a cake for the king of Cambodia. She has made a cake for the prime minister of Cambodia that he paid thousands of dollars for. A cake taller than me. Now think back where she began. Think of that little room she was trapped in for three years. And look where she is today. Now recently she wrote me a letter. And I I have permission to share it with you. Uh, So here I go. It says, Dear Daddy, hello, my lovely daddy. And I know you're thinking I'm not lovely, but I have it in writing. (laughs) How are you and your family doing? I and my family are doing well with my job and living standard. I desperately miss all of you, mom and dad, also older and younger sisters in ARC, too. I hope and wish you all miss me. I was so happy when I lived at ARC. When I returned home, I started to face so many problems, but I've tried to be strong in prayer to God for his intervention and encouragement for me to do everything well. Although being at home, there's many struggles, yet they motivate me to be firm and strong and persevere in dealing with my life circumstances. Every day when I come back from work, I teach the poor kids in my community how to read and write so they can have a good life, too. I sacrificially lay out my lifestyle to help those kids like ARC helps me no matter how trivial my problem. Now I can help others, and I do it with everything I have and with all my heart. Finally, I pray for your health and your mission are going well. Happiness for your family And you, may God bless you. I love you so much, Daddy. Your lovely daughter, Chong. Now, she didn't give up on her brother. 
And today, her brother lives with her and goes to school every day. Not only that, they opened a second cafe, and the new boss is Chong. (laughs) Now, uh, next slide, please. Think about that. Every day, she works six days a week. Not an easy job. Every day when she gets home, she spends her own money to buy books and paper and pencil to teach the poor kids in her community how to read. She's just a little girl still. Yet she's standing with the oppressed and fighting injustice. What? Think of what she's been through. Yet she's willing to sacrificially lay down her life, as she says, for others. What might happen if we all had the heart of Chang? Wonder if we all had the heart of those five girls. Wonder if every, every one of us would follow Christ like these kids do. How would God change the world? How would our, our families, our churches, our communities, what evil would God defeat if we would just follow the example of these little girls? You know, and the, the question for each one of us is, with whom will we personally stand? Personally, with whom will we stand? You know, and, and sometimes as I speak around the country, uh, people will say to me afterwards, you know, Don, I'm not really called to stand with the oppressed and fight injustice. You know what I say? You are absolutely right. I know 100% that you're not called to do that because... You're commanded. You see, we all as followers of Christ are commanded to stand with the oppressed and fight injustice. What's different is how. That's the call. How do we fulfill, how do we fulfill that commandment is the call that God's given us. And there's, there's lots of ways, right? There's multiple ways. The truth is, sadly, there's far more oppressed than girls who are sex trafficked, right? There's Tons of people being oppressed across the world. There's far more issues in human trafficking uh, injustice that can be fought. But the bottom line is that somehow, as followers of Christ, we are called to respond. And so commanded to respond and called in a specific way. Lots of opportunities for us. And I, hey, I've got, I'll, I'll, be, I'll confess to you, I think it would be great if you all decided to stand through AIM and fight sex trafficking in Cambodia. Uh, I'd love that, right? I like AIM. I like the work that we're doing. But again, there's many options. And the other thing that's true is we declare with whom we stand. We declare how we fight injustice and the small decisions we make every day. That's really the truth of it, right? I mean, we have been given these great gifts. We've been given time. We've been given talents as well. We've been given resources, And how we use them each day, how we decide to use what God's given us, declares with whom we're standing. Right? And and again, I'll confess to you that each day, more times than not, I fail. I fail that test in in declaring with whom I stand. But the truth is, I, I am a work in progress. Right? I do have the greatest gifts. And I have faith in those. And I have witnesses like these little girls in Cambodia... And I pray just to reach their level first on my way to being a little more like Jesus. And so I, wanna, I, I just want to encourage all of you 
that, that God can use you wherever you are, no matter what gift he has given you, to stand for the oppressed somewhere and to fight some type of injustice. 